Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, I will be talking with Gerard Sullivan, an environmental specialist at York Region. Welcome, Gerard. Hi, Marge. Thanks Thanks for inviting me. I am very glad that you have taken the time to uh, to join me. I've got lots of questions for you. Uh, I Yeah, so we're going to get started. But let's first uh, tell us a little bit about yourself how long have you worked with the York region and you know what is your do you have a degree in science or what i uh, i came to the york region uh, about 13 years ago and uh yes i i'll start as uh, i used to hide out in wetlands and, and forest areas I grew up on a farm and it was the best way to get out of farm work was to hide in the wetland and then i just stayed there um, so then my training has all been um, in the environmental uh, fisheries and terrestrial science and stuff like that. And uh, the region uh, needed someone like that to uh, help protect. We don't just build roads, but help protect areas around the roads and all the residents. So that's how I got to uh, York Region. And the reason I chose York Region was uh, it's it's just so diverse. It's so big. It's it's like it's half the size of Rhode Island when you look at it, and uh, it's got everything. It's half the rivers go to the north, and half the rivers head to the south, and you got the Oak Ridges in the middle like a volcano, just bursting with water, so, and it has all that distinct uh, distinct habitat like uh, like the Jefferson salamander okay, that you yeah. only see there on the Oak Ridges. Yeah, that you that's a unique perspective I don't think all of us have. So thank you for for saying that. Uh, you know, we don't think about that where we live. Uh I do want to talk to you about the Stovell road closure that occurs in April, but um it, it, there it's there to help this Jefferson salamander get across the road. But can you tell me about the Jefferson salamander? I don't believe I've ever seen one except for in a picture, like how big is it? You know, what's its life cycle? Uh, what habitat does it need? And, you know, is the population, like how many salamanders are there? Um, the salamanders, uh, you'll never really get a good count of salamanders. They're very secretive creatures. They live underneath the uh, the leaves and, and under rocks and crevices and stuff like that. Um, so we can tell the population mainly by just studying it over the years and seeing whether it is going up and or going down and but not an actual number that you know people look for um they're pretty cool creatures uh they're relatively big guys in the salamander world they're like 12 to 20 centimeters in length um canadian canadian length uh, probably seven inches up to seven inches the ones down in new york um, you don't see them because they like to they like to hide under the leaf litter, rocks and crevices. Um, they're they're like your perfect neighbor. You never see them, and they only come out at night. Okay. So, at, so I just say at this location we actually don't just have the Jefferson salamander. We actually have two endangered species. It's Jefferson and the Jefferson's cousin, uh, the Ambistoma, which is is a really cool creature because it's actually dependent on the Jefferson for its survival. Ooh. Okay. Uh, so what what is its life cycle? It's how long does it live? 
typically? It can live. There's another interesting feature is it can actually live up to 30 years. So you think of a small salamander mm -hmm. creature like that, and it can live up to 30 years. So another cool thing about that is it's a really good uh, indicator mm -hmm. of, you know, if it's been around that long, it's an indicator of how well the environment is around them. And um, we can also study them for uh, to see, you know, what the ranges and stuff like that are. So it's not something that is here today, gone tomorrow. Right. So, um, and they got a really distinct life cycle like that. And a lot of creatures that have a really distinct life cycle, unfortunately, depend on that life cycle. And unfortunately, those are the ones that are at risk because they need every part of their life cycle. They, they can't... Uh, they're not like an invasive species where they can just make a go of it. So that's what's kind of cool about this one. This this creature, the two big, most general things is it needs to have a habitat, like a deciduous forest that it can hide. And it, it eats like insects. It's really cool for the food chain because it eats insects. It, it's got a high metabolism. So it, it produces really quickly. But it also, it also, it needs to, in the winter, basically hibernate under, you know, the frost layer so it has to be able to find those crevices in the frost layer but to breed it needs ponds or it needs vernal pools that do not have fish have you noticed it's getting more and more complicated so they need to get to these areas in the spring to lay their eggs and they there's only so many of these locations around and the Oak Ridges is a great area for that sort of habitat Vernal, you said vernal ponds. That's a pond that is like stagnant. Is that a good word? To... Vernal pools are like, uh, it, like it'll dry up before the end of the summer, but it's there long enough to produce, you know, long enough to produce the the young for the salamanders. Okay, so like a big puddle. Yes. Okay, so that's just I thought. I'm thinking I only sort of know the word vernal, and so I'm thinking I better ask you to make sure that we all all on the same track okay so its life cycle is it it lays its eggs in the this pond and the eggs would then hatch at the what so many weeks later or it, it attaches its eggs uh in the pond um on vegetation and uh, a few weeks later they the the young will hatch they will stay in the ponds for the summer um and then approximately starting late August, September, October, they will then teenagers will come out um, and they'll, they'll be the adults now and they'll head back towards the deciduous forest. And that's where we come into play. Okay. Well, and they could have the following year, they could uh, reproduce and lay eggs. No. So the, it's, they don't produce right away. So like, I believe the females approximately have to be two years old approximately before they are uh, of age to reproduce. And typically us males, we're always farther behind and it's about three years before they are, yeah. uh, they can help reproduce. Okay. So they really are a teenager for a year, which is something many other species uh, would not like, I don't believe frogs have that delay. Do they? Um, there are all the species are different, but okay. the, yeah, these guys are definitely teenagers when okay. they, when they come back in the, in the fall, they act like teenagers. Right. They're all they're all over the place. Okay, and do they make a sound? No, you won't hear anything from them. You, that's the that's another problem with it is you won't like you said earlier in the podcast here that you won't hear 
and most chances you won't even see one. You have to basically be looking for one in the right habitat to even see one. They they don't want to be seen. They only come they only come out at night typically mm -hmm. and they travel when it's raining. So rainy Again. dark nights almost sounds like a a thriller. Yes, real spooky movie. Okay. And the color of them, they they are really camouflaged. Like it's almost they're almost the colored of dead leaves. Is that correct? Yeah, when you start getting into them, it's pretty cool because they're not the brightest, like they're not the most colorful of salamanders. Like uh you'd see like a yellow spotted, blue spotted, but they are when you start following them, they're big. Like mm. they they are distinct. So they're like a grayish brown. And a lot of them have, most of them have like little blue flecks that you, you hardly notice till you look close. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I hope one day I do spot one of these. Now you, now you will. Now, now you will. I now will. that you're looking. Yes. Now that you're looking. Okay. Okay. Um, so explain to us why it's important to save these salamanders. Like what role do they play in our ecosystem? I, I kind of touched on a little bit there um, on your first question is they're, they're, they're really important to the forest health. I, I've always followed like salamanders, um, even when I was young, because they're almost like a uh, thermostat or thermometer or, you know, your blood pressure for the forest and for the ecosystem, because they're very sensitive to pollutions. They're very sensitive to any it, toxins and stuff like that. So if you see if uh, it looks like a nice forest, but you see there's no salamanders, it's a good indicator that that forest is there's something wrong or it's not too healthy. Um, so that that's one really key part is they're around for a long time. So they're a good indicator species of ecological stressors and stuff like that, especially when you're looking at changes to groundwater and, uh, and vernal pools and water quality and the soil moisture and compaction, all these things that, you know, that we deal with now, especially with climate change. This is uh, this, these are like a very good uh, indicator species, and uh, a scientist at the Toronto Region Conservation Authority who works with us, who plays a key role in helping us with the salamanders. He had a key thing: is if you saw a couple of bolts in your laneway under your car, and he must be looking up, thinking of my truck when he told me this. You wouldn't think of much of it; you'd get in. But if you come out and you see a lot of parts and oil and everything else you'd automatically say, okay, I got to go in and get this vehicle fixed. It's the same thing with the salamanders. If we, we use them for that, we can see how we can reverse the trend. Very good. Okay. Uh, you did mention that they eat insects, like mosquitoes or uh, what sort of things do they eat? They're, so they live in the leaf litter of the deciduous forest. So the, what they're really cool is they eat like tiny insects, um, whatever they can get a hold of in the forest areas, and then they process that so that they play a real key part in in the forest life cycle, like the uh, the food chain. So yeah. they're they're like the bottom there, feeding and working right up through the forest. So they're really good for the food web, okay. transferring energy up through the food chain from the forest floor up to the other parts. Right. Okay. Interesting. So. We had the road closures there on Stovo Road last month on rainy nights. Like, were you guys out? Like, were you personally part of this team that went out? And were they out very many nights? Oh, yeah. So twice a year, I turn into a salamander and, and literally put salamander shoes on and see how they how they live. And uh, 
Yes. Yeah, so we were out. Um, we actually close it twice a year. So we close it in the spring and we close it in the fall. Like we were saying er Okay. earlier, the we let the teenagers come back in the fall. Mm, okay. So, um, so yeah, we close it for well, like this spring. We closed it for actually twenty two days. We close it, but we don't just we don't close the road. We actually close the road only between. 9 a.m. and 5 a.m. at night because they only move when it's dark and only during rain events. So while we we advertise that it may be closed, it could be closed for 22 days, we may be getting a lot of rain. It actually is only closed like a few days out of that because what we're doing on this closure, which is kind of distinct, is we close it based on what Mother Nature tells us and we study the salamanders year after year to see when are they moving to see if we can narrow it down. So. Hmm. Okay. And so in these days that you were out, did you actually help to see any salamanders crossing the road? Always. If it's raining, there's a good chance we're going to see salamanders. Um, Hmm. and in this location, it's mostly like endangered Jefferson salamanders. And like I said, the cousin, so the, uh, the embistoma. version of it so we, yeah we do see them cross and they cross just in the lo exact locations where we think they're going to cross from all our studies um we have the we work with really closely with the research scientists from toronto region conservation authority and also university of guelph on this so we've radio tracked approximately 20 we got about 20 radio trackers in them so we can actually see them moving around the forest and stuff. And we, we mark them. Uh, we mark other ones too, just to see, you know, if it's the same one, what's their habits and stuff like that. Cause we're trying to get their range of not just where they're moving, where they're crossing the road, but where they live and where is the, the good parts of the forest that we need to actually protect. That that is very interesting. So, like, would they cross one at a time, or do they go in groups or mates? Um, any idea? I have seen them come in groups where they look like cattle all coming back. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, kind of freaky when you're looking at them all coming at the same time, but normally no, they're to themselves and you'll see one here and you really have to look, like I said, they're it's night, it's raining and they're dark Okay. and they're very slow. Like the, you'll see the odd one running across, but sometimes they're just standing there with their head up. So unless you're looking for them, if you're in a car, you would never, you'd never see one. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so, like, how many people are out during the night? Or are are people out, or you just cl close the road at a certain time? It's usually only a few people. We don't want to disturb them too much. Um, so usually it's uh, one or two people from Toronto, Cons Toronto Region Conservation Authority and a uh, university student and maybe a couple of volunteers just to help. Um, but we try not to disturb them. And we definitely uh, and most of my work is just making sure, you know, the residents know and we and we make sure that no no vehicles come through because it is uh, it is a busy, busy stretch of road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when did you start doing this? Like how many years have this road closure um, been happening? So the Toronto Region Conservation Authority, they've been out there doing the studies and following them around since 2015, so about eight years. And we were doing an upgrade of the road and we were looking at what do we need to help the residents' safety and everything else on this road because it's so busy. 
And so we started in 2021, we realized while we were doing these studies that the one resident we weren't thinking about was this Jefferson Salamander and, and, and his cousin. It's like, well, wait a second, we're finding, you know, unfortunately we're finding dead salamanders on here on this busy road. So what can we do? Well, the studies take a long time um, and the detailed designs for construction, and everything else take a long time. So, uh, much to uh, the senior management credit at York Region and also the city of Richmond Hill, um, they agreed to, well, before we get to doing anything to help them like concrete, pardon the pun, what can we do now? We can close the roads. So that's, they agreed and we closed the road and um, the residents have been great. And uh, we've been closing it since 2021, uh, every spring and every uh, every fall. Okay, very good. Uh, are there other locations other than Stoville Road that uh, you close? Is it just concentrated in that one area? In York Region, it's a it's a very uh, strange situation. So they need that special habitat that we talked about. Um, that so there's not a lot of that habitat around. So we have a population here, and we're looking for other populations just following that same habitat. Um, but we haven't actually done anything like this anywhere else within the region. Now, they are doing this in, so they have populations in Burlington. So they close a road, um, King Road in Burlington, and they close that every spring too. Um, but that's about the only locations that, that I know of. Okay. Yeah, I've heard the suggestion made that there should be a tunnel constructed under the road rather than stopping the traffic. Is that viable, do you believe? Oh, of course. And we install wildlife tunnels on most of our projects. If if the science dictates that like there's a population, and it doesn't have to be just salamanders, if there's a population of wildlife um, within adjacent to our roads that needs to cross that road, or, it, or it's worse, separating two populations that need to be together, we will we will put in a wildlife crossing. So, hmm. so this location here, we've already um, we're already working on a design to install three uh, salamander crossings at this location. Okay, so the salamanders really would say go in the tunnel rather than across the road. Like, I'm just wondering what would make them think, hmm, okay, let's use the tunnel at this time rather than crossing the road. We're also we'll be installing uh, we'll be guiding them as much as we can as much as we guide people we're going to be guiding them so we're going to be putting up wildlife fencing and stuff like that to try and funnel them into that area. Okay, that makes sense because it just like um it didn't it did not make why would they do that so anyways and okay. like every and like everything we we do like years of research post research mm -hmm. to follow them and we make the adjustments if we need to 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 make sure that it is working we just have to have it successful. Yeah. So like this tunnel, would it be like uh, six inches in diameter, or two feet? Like how big of a tunnel do you actually construct? That's what we're working on. So okay. every wildlife, uh, the, depending what the species is, they have a, a certain openness ratio that you need. Um, and salamanders are very special because you know, they, they need the dampness. Um, the, the one cool thing that we might have going for us is that they travel at night anyway. So there's many, uh, many, many wildlife that are a little shy about using tunnels and stuff like that. So that's the key that we really got to do the research, not just before and then do it and walk away. 
we'll spend at least five years minimum of following this species to see how it's reacting to these tunnels. Okay, no, that's uh, fascinating. So what else are you working on? Like, what other concerns are there for the environmental, for an environmental specialist in your region? So you mean my day job? Yeah, like what else do you do? Yes. This was just my night job. Okay. Uh, it, this is the... The other reason I went, to, I came to York Region is uh, there's no lack of work. When you think of it, we have like uh, forty. We have approximately forty six hundred kilometers of road, and everyone thinks, "Oh, well, that's." And, and there's a lot of people that are saying, "Well, you, you sold out going to York Region," and absolutely not. With forty six hundred kilometers of road, it's like forty six hundred kilometers of a, what we just talked about of mm-hmm. opportunities to do stuff, to set the clock back, sometimes 100 years or more, and rehabilitate all the 4,600 kilometers of adjacent land, working with partners and um, being able to do it quickly too. And uh, I, 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 working with different organizations, I'd have to have a thousand bake sales to try and do like one kilometer of, of stream or something like that. So... Um, there's so much work to be done, and and everybody's so open to it too. There's it, it's not oh oh I gotta talk to I gotta talk to Gerard. It's it's not that at all. It's it's an exciting part of even the roads department of being able to work on these these capital projects. So like a, a lot of it of the work we do is like stormwater improvement. We got climate change coming. There's it's even more important like stormwater low impact development designs where. Uh, we can mimic groundwater conditions and stuff like that. We're working on a lot of really first-end science stuff. And wetland enhancements, stream and river improvements are, are daily. And improving our forests, connecting our forests. Uh, the list just goes on and on. Um, and that's just with our capital, our road operations that are out there, you know, plowing the roads and working on the ditches and stuff. They They have their own programs with the wildlife too. So like, they have like cutting schedules where they avoid turtle nesting. They map out where the turtle nests are. Um, so it's, I like to think of it as job security. Cause okay. <laughs> I would like to work. I'd like to work my, myself out of this job, which meaning that everything's all done and, and great, but uh, no, it's still always be work here. Okay. This is fascinating. I, I, I don't, I haven't thought about many of these things about the conditions of ditches and uh, I, have lots of questions. Like I'll ask you to come back and talk about uh, stormwater retention ponds because I I am in very much intrigued about them. So lots is happening. Okay, anything else that you'd like to add? Um, if there's one thing I would like to add is I was I was especially I shouldn't say surprised, but I, I was I was very happy that I that I couldn't believe that the people involved in this project, especially the Richmond Hill residents, I stopped maybe 30 to 80 cars a night and either turned them around if they, were, if they weren't from the area or stopped them and asked them where they were. And there wasn't one resident that was like, oh, this is a pain, this is a nuisance. Everyone was, in, was interested in their neighbor. They were all interested in the Jefferson Salamander, even though it was a hindrance to them every year, twice a year. Um, even the people that were transient that were coming through and they were trying to get to a bigger or like another part of the city, there was no complaints. They're like, oh, as soon as they heard, they understood. And right up through the management of the city of Richmond Hill and and also, you know, the region all the way up, everyone was um, 
we're closing a main road and nobody had a problem with it for this salamander. Yeah. So okay. that's what I wanted to add is like, I really thank everybody that were involved. Okay. That, that's excellent. So I guess that's sort of the answer to the question, but you could maybe phrase it a little different as I always ask, I end the podcast with a question, name one thing you really like about this community, but it's, it sounds like it's receptiveness. Would you want to phrase it any differently? I would, yeah. When I first came to the region, I liked this community. I liked it because you're in the heart of York region, but it felt like you're in a like a, a rural area. Like it was still so treed and everything else. It had beautiful creeks, that brook trout streams, everything. And after working here, it's the people. It's mm -hmm. I've just I was intrigued by like these people have busy lives, and yet they appreciate why they're here too. It they they actually see what's around them. Okay. Well, you have brought a different perspective than I often hear. I'm very, very happy to uh, to hear that. I do regard myself as a naturalist and one who loves nature. So it's been a real pleasure, uh, Gerard, uh, for doing uh, this podcast with you, with you. So thanks again. Thank you for allowing me to go on. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at marj, M-A-R-J, at marjandre.com. I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well, stay connected. <laughs>